Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, welcome to episode 27 of the Stay Grounded Podcast. I'm your friend, your host, Raj, and it is 75 and sunny today. And I do not say that out of a coincidence uh, because this week's guest is somebody who, um, you know, I had a really interesting conversation with Michael. So Michael O'Neill is this week's guest. He is the host of the Solopreneur Hour podcast that has had over 10 million downloads um, and he's over 680 episodes in. So the man has been around the podcasting mic for a long, long, long time. Um, and it's actually kind of funny. You're going to hear him uh, give me a couple tips on how uh, how I can be a better podcaster. And I always love learning from folks. That's actually one of the reasons I even wanted to start this podcast was to selfishly ask other people questions that I've always wanted to ask. Um, so, uh, you're kind of sitting on the journey as I'm growing and learning. And so I appreciate all the support, but Michael, so needless to say is a, is a talented storyteller and has heard so many stories, um, over the years. And we talk a lot about that, but what I love most about Michael in general is he's just a really resourceful guy. I mean, he went through a lot as a, as a, as a, as a kid, he, he hit rock bottom as most of our guests do, but uh, what he decided to do after he hit rock bottom is where the story really begins. And it's something that I found incredibly inspiring. I'm not going to dive too deep into it, but I just wanted to let you guys know that if you feel like you're going through a tough time right now or the the dots aren't lining up for you, I hope this episode really inspires you to see how um, what you're doing right now or where you're showing up or how you're showing up uh, ultimately decides where you're going to be. And it doesn't have to be 75 and sunny in your own world right now, but uh, just trust the dots to line up for you and you will be creating 75 sunny in your own life. And so, um, so that's, that's, that's the intro for this episode. I'm super excited, super pumped for you guys to learn. But before you guys move over there, if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, review, um, throw us some, some, some feedback and thoughts, shoot me an email at, uh, Chief Brewer at javapress.com. Javapress has an E at the end. I read all my emails personally. I want to hear from you guys. I want to know what you like, you don't like. Um, if you hate me, please send me an email. Um, if you love me, please send me an email. I welcome everything. Uh, I want to make this show as well as I can uh, for you guys because the more we learn, the more we grow. And the more we grow, the happier we'll be. So anyways, uh, that's that little spiel. But without further ado, here is Mr. Michael O'Neill. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Stay Grounded Podcast. I'm your host, Raj, and oh man, I'm super pumped to have my friend Michael here today. How you doing, Michael? Dude, I'm so good. I'm psyched because, uh, well, first of all, 
I may be the only person you've ever had on your show that doesn't actually drink coffee. Oh, I'm well, a chai guy. Uh, I like can we, chai. Can we just cut like the show tea. short now? I know. That's it. Like, Thank you, everybody. Call today. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. I wish I liked it because I love how it smells. I just don't like how it tastes. Maybe you haven't had good coffee, and that's a conversation that I might have to take uh, with you after the show, my man. But how are you, man? What's going on? It would be very impressive if, if you would like if you could get me to drink coffee or like beer or sushi. Those three things would be miracles. Well, it's a good thing. I'm a uh, sushi drinking beer connoisseur who also happens to have a coffee company. Yes, is that so, is that true? You, you uh, do you drink sushi? I don't. I I, I sometimes uh, I I mixed up my words, so that was actually really great. Yeah, in a blender. Uh, it's in a blender. Blend, <laughs> you blend your sushi, which is a whole another level. It's what they're doing in Houston these days. Yeah, good old Houston Texas. Keeping it. I'm weird. good. I'm good. I'm uh, recovering from bronchitis, so I apologize in advance for the. Um, I will try to get my mute button as 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 uh, uh, as quickly as I can, but sometimes it escapes. No um, worries, so man. no worries, no worries. Yeah, man. But uh, no, I'm super excited to have you here. Um, uh, Mike, Mike, can I call you Mike? Does anyone call you Mike, or is it Michael? People that like grew up with me when I was, you know, a younger. They, my brother still calls me Mike. I don't care. You call me okay. whatever you want, dude. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna Fine. go with Mike. Uh, yeah. okay. So, Mike, tell me. Um, yeah, call we you Bob. <laughs> All right, this is this is going to be fun. Um, so tell me, Mike. Uh, I already gave you a short intro uh, prior to uh, this episode, but okay. I'd love for you to <laughs> tell me I about your one. your your personal journey uh, to how you got to where you are today, and and definitely talk about the peaks and the valleys because uh, I'm always interested to learn. Bro, about how long is your show? How uh, long is your show? We've got we've I got mean, about 45 minutes. So spark note it for me, my man. Let's. Um, I, I'm going to, you know, I teach a course on interviewing, so I'm going <laughs> to take you to task right now and make you ask me something more specific than that. Okay. So Michael, when you, <laughs> uh, what interested me most about your story was when you, when you lost both your parents and you went to Europe, um, what inspired that? And what, what was your mindset behind that? Why the shift to go then what was the importance of that to you? And, and, and tell me more about, about your experience um, through that part of your life. Doesn't that feel so much better, what you just did right there? Uh, it, I, I can does. tell you right now that the listener's like, oh, dude, that's a question. That's what's up. Um, yes. well, that was brilliant. Thank you. Um, I was, um, yeah, I had a really crappy uh, few years where I had two sick parents in the U.S. healthcare system. and. Um, it was like my life was, you know, mom falls and breaks her hip, needs 24 days of rehab, insurance pays for 10, it's $2,000 a day, you know, and I had a good gig. Yeah. I was a creative director at a, a fortune, you know, 500 startup kind of place. And, um, and uh, I, uh, I had this, I was making good money. I was living in Boulder, Colorado. I had a nice house and a couple of cars and the whole bit, but it was, I was hemorrhaging money because of the, the situation. Yeah. And, um, and when they, when all was said and done, I'd lost the house and the cars and, and my, the job and everything was gone, uh, you know, within, you know, probably 12 months. And, um, my parents died seven months apart. And so I was in a really interesting, I don't, I met this guy at this networking event or something. He was, he was sort of passing through and, um, I was telling him a bit, he, he said he, um, 
he said something very interesting. He said, I made my fortune in the cable industry. Mm. And, and I, my degree at Temple University, I'm from Philly, was in broadcasting, telecommunications, and mass media. So I studied the cable industry. And I thought, well, that's an, there's a couple of interesting things around, around that. Number one, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the cable industry. And number two, the nouveau rich don't typically say, I made my fortune. Like the word fortune is a very specific word to like infrastructure, legacy kind of money. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like uh, uh, some rich guy, you know, that drives a Lambo doesn't use the word fortune. Right. It's not a word that they would. Typically. So I was very intrigued by that. And I ended up having a meeting with this guy <coughs> and um, I said, you, you know, tell me about a little more about actually what happened was I went to his place and I, and I walked into, this was like a, a condo in Denver. And, um, and I, I look over, he, 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 he opened the door and he was wearing um, pajama pants. This was like one in the afternoon or three or something like that. Pajama pants and Abercrombie and Fitch pajama like football <laughs> top. And he had this long gray hair and a big beard. Excellent. And slippers, like rich guy slippers. And, um, and he walked into the kitchen. He just said, wait right here. And that sort of a very aloof commanding way that uh, a, a rich guy would have. Yeah. And he walked out of the room and I looked over, I looked to my left, I looked over at the wall and then it's on the wall. It's him with Carter, then him with Reagan, then him with Bush, then him with Clinton, then him with Bush. Like those wow. were the five pictures that were on the wall. And I'm thinking, who am I, who is this guy? Long silver hair. Yeah. Like what is going on here? And so it turned out that he was, um, and I, I don't, I, He's super private, so I can't, I can't divulge too much. Yeah. But needless to say, what he said was, well, you know, I worked for Time Warner in the 70s, and we had this idea. Um, I had a friend <laughs> that had access to a military satellite, and we thought, wouldn't it be kind of cool if we could figure out how to beam a television signal to the satellite and then down so someone could watch it in another you know, part of the world? Yeah. To which I thought, with my communications background, oh, well, that's how TV works. Then I went, oh, that's uh-huh. how TV works. <laughs> like, okay. So I started understanding like the level Connecting in which the dots, this yeah. person was operating. I said, okay. So we had a really interesting conversation, but the, the big profound change for me was he said, Michael, um, he's, he goes right now. I, you know, I could, um, he, in fact, he offered me this crazy job that I declined. Um, <clears throat> but he goes, you know, if you want your life to, you know, you want to make a quarter million dollars and marry some cute girl and live in Boulder and, you know, we could do that. No problem. And I'm thinking, great. Sounds good. Let's do it. Because I, I had scraped up $7 in, in change to borrow my friend's piece of crap truck to drive to this meeting. I had no money at all. And um, it was like, yeah, that, yeah, making a quarter million dollars sounds great. And it's so funny to think about how, what my mindset was back then. And yeah. when he said, what do you want your life to look like? And I, and I told him kind of, you know, oh, if I could just make like 10 grand a month and blah, 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 blah. And I'm, I'm thinking like how, how little I was thinking back then compared yeah. to how I think now. But yeah. <clears throat> he goes, we can make that happen. No problem. He goes, but right. But he goes, but I'm not going to. He said, um, you've had, he goes, right now you're a bad investment. He said, you've had so much chaos in your life for the last four years. You haven't even had a chance to mourn. Mm. And I swear it was the first moment that I had, this was like, um, this was 
I think December or November of 2008 and uh, 2007 rather. And um, my dad had died December 2006. My mom died uh, September 2007. So it was just like you see, it's just like, you know, one parent gets broken hearted and then it's, it's kind of all over. Um, but this was just a couple months after that. And when he said that to me, it was the first moment that it was like, oh, my dad died. And then, oh yeah, my mom died. Like that, it was the first time it had actually ever hit me. Yeah. And I lost it. I totally lost it on this guy's couch. Tried, cried for the first time since any of it happened. And at that moment, I had always had this thing where I wanted to take my parents to Europe because my dad was the kind of guy that would, you know, drive a Winnebago cross country, but wouldn't yeah. jump on a flight to Paris for six hours. So I thought I'm going to, when I get to a, you know, quote unquote, certain level of success, I'm going to take them to Europe. I'll surprise them with this trip. And then I couldn't, I couldn't do that. That moment is when I decided to do that on that guy's couch. So I thought, you know what? Like my family's kind of funny. I'm going to get a little Italian Parmesan cheese shaker. I'm going to put their <laughs> ashes in it. I'm going to go to Europe for a few months and I'm going to take them everywhere. And so I did. I, I, they're on the beaches of Normandy. They're in the Sistine Chapel. And like sometimes I had to go a little Shawshank Redemption because you're not allowed to spread ashes in the Sistine Chapel. So, you know, it was like this amazing cathartic time for me. But when I landed <clears throat> on my connecting flight from Brussels to D.C., um, after a few months in Europe, I had $14. And it wasn't like, oh, yeah, I better get the ATM. Like I had $14. Yeah. And, and when my brother picked me up from the airport a few hours later, um, I'm sitting in his guest room and, and it was like, okay, then what happens? Because now I'm a guy who's in his like mid to late 30s. I had no money. Yeah. I knew, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do at all, but I knew what I would never do again is work a dollar for an hour. That's, I was never going to do that. I was never going to do sort of client work. And I was a web guy and a branding guy for 15 years. And I'm like, I'm never going to do it. It's like when you work at a restaurant for many years and you finally get out of it, you're like, never working yep, in a restaurant again. Back, I'm yeah. like, oh, that's over. Yep. Um, and that's how I felt. And so I really started over in 2009. And then the journey was sort of, you know, I was in network marketing for a few years, met some amazing people, found my voice as a, a trainer because I started teaching people social media within that industry and nobody knew anything about it. And then met a guy um, that was like one of their main personal development dudes. And um, I helped him launch a brand and start a podcast in 2012 that it was a huge hit. And so after 18 months, I decided to start my show um, in August uh, of 2013. And that was almost 10 million downloads ago. And so the Solopreneur Hour has been my main gig now for a few years. Dude, good for you. This is yeah. such an inspiring uh, trail of events. And it's, it's amazing that uh, you got what you needed from somebody completely random. He has no idea. I've tried to reach out to him uh, a number of times since then, but he's so, he's very difficult to, to tr it'd be like, literally, it'd be like tracking down Mark Cuban. You know, he's, he's sort of that, you, you know. And in fact, I probably could get in touch with Mark Cuban easier than I could get in touch with <laughs> this guy. I'm not kidding. Like I probably... I, I could probably get in touch with Mark Cuban within a week, but this guy, I have no idea. I, I still have his number. I just don't think I can reach him. You know, he's that guy. Yeah. Uh, was it a message you were actively looking no. to hear or was it something that just kind of happened out of the blue? Out of the blue, totally out of the blue. It was, a, it was like a, I was in this weird survival mode, which I think we get into when, when a lot of stuff goes wrong at once. Yeah. Um, I had a pretty crummy January of this year and, um, I had, you know, it was, it was interesting because I thought it was really bad and then something way worse happened. And I was like, <laughs> wow, 
just when you like life is so relentless sometimes it doesn't care at all like yo you think you're down okay here have a little cup of this and you're like holy shit okay <laughs> now this you know and so i think that it, it's part of this journey where you just go okay then that happened and now i have to show some resiliency and I think it's the, the comparison for me a lot of times when people are like, oh, I can't do that because of blank or my life went blank. I go, yeah, there's a guy that climbed Kilimanjaro with no arms and no legs. Yep. Then what happened? You know, <laughs> it's like, yep. it's like, okay, then, you know, and, and I suppose the way to frame it is for every, for everybody that is in a situation now that they, they're feel they're feeling terrible and that life is against them, blah, blah, blah. There are, numerous people, countless people that have had the exact same situation and ended up having the most amazing, you know, life or multimillionaires or whatever from that exact situation that you're in right now. Mm, yeah. So you just have to decide if that's a, a direction you want to go in or not. You can hang out and be, you know, unhappy. It's cool. You know, you just don't have to, if you don't want to. It's easier to be it's easier. Some, well, sometimes it is in the long run. It's a, it's a bit of a pain. Yes. But in the short term, it's easier just to hang out and, and feel sorry for yourself. I had a couple months of that in, in uh, at the end of 2017. I was just feeling like, God, I don't feel like doing anything. I was kind of feeling mm. depressed -y, you know? It's yep. just a little am. Yeah. And, then, and, and then the thing is, though, um, I used to co-host a show with uh, Heinz Ward, who's a, I don't know if you're a, a pro football fan, but he's a very, he's a Pittsburgh Steeler, two-time mm -hmm. Super Bowl winner. And he's nice. like, he was my Super Bowl or my, uh, I'm a Steelers fan. So he was like one of my heroes. And just through a completely random set of events, he ended up, <laughs> uh, I ended up co-hosting a show with him <laughs> for a year, which is just bonkers. You know, yeah. like imagine your biggest hero in your world and all of a sudden you're working with him for a year. So it's just crazy. But that's what podcasting can do, I think. Um, but he tells the story. He, he um, really remarkable dude, because he, you know, two-time Super Bowl winner, Super Bowl MVP, one dancing with the stars and then retired and became an Ironman triathlete. And <clears throat> he was telling this story where in the Ironman, Ironman is, is a crazy, yep. crazy it's physical, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, I think it's what a two mile That's swim. That's an understatement. <laughs> uh, it's a two mile swim. It's a, a hundred, I think a hundred, maybe a hundred and bike bike. bike. Yep. And then a full marathon of 26.2. So yeah. it's, a, it's a, in the all in a day. You just, you just do that to your body. And it goes swim, bike, run. So Heinz is at mile 20 or something on the run. And his body is, is breaking. I won't go into details, but his body was not cooperating with him. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, he was later than his coach, who was like a 12-time Ironman champion, because that's what you get when you're, you know, a, a pro, you know, athlete. Um, was they were wondering where he was and he you know she went back on course a few miles to find him and he was not doing well there was a lot of physical things happening to him right. and he said um and, and feel free to uh, there's a bleep coming up if you're riding with your children <laughs> fyi um and you can bleep this on the show it'll it'll work but um he said he looks at her with this you know he was at the end of his physical capability. And he said, I don't know what to do. And she looked at him, this guy who's this world-class athlete that felt like quitting. And she said, you put one fucking foot in front of the other and you finish this race. There and it, it just, and he just said, all right, that's what I'm doing then. And that's what he did. He just, it like, it completely reinvigorated him. 
because he's like, you know what? When you break things down to that simplicity, that's what it is. And that's how I felt when I was sort of coming out of this, this dark time after my parents died, which is like, look, you put one foot in front of the other and you just, you know, my dad always used to say, you were always great at picking yourself up by your bootstraps and moving on. And that's, that's what you have to do. There's no other alternative to that unless you just give up, you know, or jump off a cliff. How do you keep that? I mean, it's easy to get those strokes of inspiration when you're feeling down and you, and you get that invigoration. How do you keep that party going? Um, First of all, you have to put yourself in the situation. mm -hmm. You got to Matt Damon that shit from Goodwill (laughs) Hunting. You know, you can't just, you can't just, you know, you've got to be in a spot where, where good things could happen. You know what I mean? He could have been a janitor anywhere, but he's a janitor at MIT. So it's like, It, it, you know, so that's one thing. And one of the things I did to, to, you know, to quote unquote, get lucky was, you know, when I was down, I had no money, but I had skill, you know, but I just didn't know what to do with my skill yet. And I, and I, and, and I hadn't recognized all the skill that I had. This is many years pre podcast. I didn't know I was a good broadcaster. You know, I had no idea. I thought I was pretty good on stage. I didn't know if I could go out and like be a speaker on something or whatever. Like I had no idea how it would work, but I created this, what I call now, um, this thing called starbitrage and barbitrage. And what that meant was (laughs) if you, um, if you like, let's say you don't have a a gig or you work from home, well, you're not going to meet amazing people. Like if, if, if the adages are true, which is like, we're the five people we spend the most time with right? The, the sum yeah. or, you know, environment is stronger than willpower. Like if those things are actually true, well, then your number one goal is to put yourself in an environment where you can surround yourself with these successful people and, or, you know, a great environment, right? Or like whatever you want. Yeah. Around. Yep. But it's hard when you have no money to do that. Like you can't just go to the country club and hang out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what I would do is instead of going to like working from home or going to my local coffee shop, I'd go to the, I'd ride my bike to the fanciest neighborhood. Uh, I was living in Denver at the time. So it was Cherry Creek and I would go and I would work from the, <laughs> the coffee shops there. And nice. uh, hang on. Yeah. And so I'd go work at Ink Coffee in Cherry Creek or sometimes the Starbucks or whatever. And I would, I would be surrounded by much, um, you know, much fancier people than were living in my neighborhood. And yeah. so, but the, and that was Starbitrage, that's Starbucks arbitrage. And then barbitrage was somewhere around 4.30. I would go to the super, super fancy steakhouse. Yeah. right around, either in the hotel bar, like a really nice hotel, or I'd go to Elway's, which is right there in Cherry Creek. And um, for whatever reason, super high-end steakhouses have killer happy hours. I think because they know that when people stay there and they get their $5 glass of wine, they're going to go buy a $42 filet when happy hour's over. That's yep. how that those, those, that math works, but the steakhouse have killer happy hours. So I'd grab my laptop, I'd set it up on the bar. I'd pick a, a, a place that had Wi-Fi, and I would get, you know, my $5 glass of wine and I would hang out. And within two hours, the most successful people in the neighborhood or in the city were surrounding me and having happy hour and talking. And, and one thing that I determined was that success recognizes hustle. And so they're yeah, wondering why yeah. some dude is hanging out in the middle of happy hour instead of partying or doing whatever. And he's just doing work because I've got the big bright screen in a dark room. So it's people are like, so what are you doing there? And if you have the answer to that 
worked out well, which I did. And <clears throat> excuse me. Um, people say, oh, dude, I want to know more, you know, and then all of a sudden I find myself at these tables with, you know, like the VP of Wells Fargo or whatever. <laughs> so I've ended up on yachts. I've ended up on uh, like in country club parties at thousand dollar dinners because I'm now being surrounded by these people and I'm giving my knowledge at the time I was really digging in and social media. So I knew a lot about how to market and sell on social media. So consequently, I end up doing, you know, um, workshops for real estate companies, Mercedes Benz, you know, all these different uh, kind of big network marketing companies, Arbonne and all, and, and all that happened because of my putting myself in that position. So how, that's how I quote unquote got lucky. How, that's a, uh, first of all, I love that story. I might have to, to, I just like the idea of that star arbitration. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's man. brilliant. It's going to be my book whenever I finish the document. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I love that. Um, so how long were you doing this until you felt like you were, you were consistently getting breaks? Was it like immediately or was it something <laughs> that you had to continue fostering? You just kept showing up every day. There's first of all, no such thing as consistent breaks. Um, you get, you write one hit song and it's years between the next yep, song. Yep. So, um, I, I was really in the grind, uh, uh, hard from 2009 until, um, probably 2012 things started opening up in 2012 for me. Um, because I had launched this other podcast and that opened some doors. And then I found that I was pretty good at helping people um, do really good podcasts. Like at this, as we speak today, I've launched now like a half a dozen, some of which that, that have been mine, but half a dozen shows that have either garnered millions of downloads or millions of dollars. Yeah. So I've applied that template to, um, to some podcast launches that have gone really well. And I think <coughs> it was because I had such a, a, a huge background in, uh, and, you know, advertising and branding, that was a huge part. Um, I've been a professional drummer for 20 plus years. So I knew about showbiz, you know, my parents were in, uh, my mom was in advertising and, and radio. So I just knew the industry a little bit and I was able to kind of merge them all together into this podcast thing. And, and, and it, it was very different than what most people were doing and, you know, just buying a mic and oh, we have a show now, you know? And so it, it was, it was just a, it's a different level. And so um, the exposure to more uh, kind of higher level people came because I helped that guy launch the podcast. Yeah. So okay. 2012 was when, and plus, I, you know, I was trying to get over money stuff, you know, yeah. uh, um, thinking big enough, you know, yeah. whereas if I would let this guy negotiate, you know, he'd come up to me and say, Hey, a friend of mine's looking for a, a podcast. I'd be like, great, I'll do it for three grand. And we'd be on the phone and be like, okay, it's going to be $10,000 for Michael to do your show. And I'm like, Oh my God. You know, and the guy's like, okay, no problem. And I'm like, wow, I am, my brain is not there yet. Yeah. You know, I don't value myself enough yet. So what did you do to get your brain to that level? It's still and a constant struggle. Yeah, and for, for me, yeah. the, the financial side, uh, it's something I've never, um, I was never trained in. And it's still something I struggle with, with uh, all the time. I mean, I just went to this very high-end mastermind over the weekend and, and I talked about, talked about that and how, you know, I have a, um, <clears throat> I have a buddy of mine that I helped launch a show and I taught him all my insider secrets and, uh, the show went very well. And then, and I, you know, I did it for free cause he was a buddy of mine. I would have charged him five grand for it, 
And then when, uh, and like a week later, some big internet marketing guy wanted to launch a show and he spoke to my buddy and my buddy charged him 30 grand for the same thing. And I was wow. like, God, I am really missing the mark here. <laughs> so it's still, a, it's still a thing that, that I struggle with. Okay. You know? I don't. I wish I had an answer for. No, no, no. I think yourself better. I, I but, think. I think what's important is that. Uh, I think you're a, you're an amazing example of somebody who's consistently and always working on themselves each day. Oh, for um, sure. And so, what is your what does your daily routine look like? Like, what do you do to keep yourself going? To get yourself motivated? Like, what do you what do you do to keep everything going? Do you have any rituals or non negotiables on a daily basis? I, you know, I'm. I'm. It's weird. It's the. Um, when I was in high school, you know how sometimes they tell you, uh, they bring you into the guidance counselor and they tell you what you would be good at? Yeah. I was, a, I was a, supposed to be a fighter pilot or a waiter. Nice. And <laughs> I, I swear. And so <laughs> I ended up being a waiter. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a really specific kind of ADD that I have, which is the kind that I can, there's, there can be 20 things floating around that I won't specifically focus on, but then I get them all done somehow. And it's what makes a, a great waiter great because they're, they're juggling nine things from nine different tables, but it's just this automatic thing. You just go and, you, and all of a sudden it's, it's done and, and you have, you've, you're done. That's kind of how I operate. I, I am not very regimented. So, but in a perfect, if, if I was going to answer this question the way I think, you know, if I was being like Joe entrepreneur, here's what I would say. I would say that, uh, I, I get up, um, and some of these things I do fairly consistently. I don't do them all consistently every day, but, but they are on the radar. Um, I get up, splash cold water on my face and I, and I do, uh, 50 pushups. So, and I, that, that came from a blog post I read, which was do the same thing, but do your age in pushups. I'm not 50. Love that. But that's, that's gang shit. Yeah, I love that. But I thought, eh, you know, I was 40, whatever. I'm like, it was pretty easy. So let me just do 50. And then I got up to, you know, big numbers, but then my shoulders started getting tweaked. So I said, you know what? 50 is enough. And it was by the way, transformative to my body to do that. Like mm. I remember doing that. And three weeks later I had to go to banana Republic cause I was doing a speaking gig and I couldn't wear my normal medium shirt. My <laughs> biceps were too big. And I was like, I feel like that guy that has to buy, a large shirt right now because it's obnoxious how tight my arms are. <laughs> and that was just from doing push-ups every day. Yeah. And then, and by the way, the mentality around that is, you know, everyone's talking about, I do buys and tries on Tuesday and then legs and blah, 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 on Thursday. Really? Well, tell that to the guy who was working in Pittsburgh at the steel factory every day yeah. for five days a week, was lifting stuff and squatting stuff and looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger back then. So it's not, I, I think it's one of those things where, I, for me, just the consistency of it and doing a little bit every day, it just works wonders for my bot. So that part I do. And then again, in a perfect world, if I'm on it, um, from 8 to 9.30, I will go do an entrepreneurial walk or an entrepreneurial run. I haven't done that for a few months because I badly injured my ankle in August and then I badly injured my knee in, in February. So, What is an entrepreneurial? Um, what is that? So what that means to me is that I tune out all content except something that I can learn from. So it's either an audiobook mm. that's purely entrepreneurial based or it's a podcast where I'm learning something uh, purely entrepreneurial based. After that time, I do none of that. I listen to stand-up comedy. I listen to podcasts about cars. Um, I don't do any of that. I don't want 
an overload in that world. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so that learning time for me is that sort of eight to nine thirty. Then I'll come back. I'd have a protein shake, and then I'd sort of get into you know my work world, and then somewhere around you know three o'clock, I'm usually done. I usually go and play racquetball or ride my bike or do something like that. So. Um, I, in, and intermittently during the course of the day, I'll stop and crank out, you know, a half hour of playing my drums. So Dude, my life is very scheduled around my hobbies and not around the work side. I was about to get into that. I love how you make time for everything that you want to do in your day. How do you, so stru- tell me how the structure of that works. So if I, like you said, you design your work around your hobbies. So do you have your hobbies scheduled or is it, cause you just said, it's kind of like whenever you feel like doing something, you do it. Like what is yeah. it? How does your how does your mindset work when it comes to juggling hobbies with uh, priorities with with just what you need to get done? Well, I mean, I'm in a I'm in a, a unique and very fortunate position. I don't have you know I don't have kids I'm you know, running around that I'm aware of, and I don't have a you know I just I'm I'm on my own at the moment. Yeah. So I I know <laughs> I know what work I have to get done, and I've always been like this. So. Well, what I'll often do is, you know, I'll, I'll do that. I'll go and play racquetball from, you know, three to five, come home, take a shower, <clears throat> pour, pour myself a glass of wine and work for a couple hours. You know, I'll get more done. I actually get a ton of work done with like a two, two glass of wine buzz. I'm really <laughs> productive. I don't know why, but I put on some good tunes and it's, a good uh, skill to have. Oh, it's great. And so that's what I would, I mean, it came back, it really harkens back to the, to the coffee shop and, and uh, happy hour world where I just throw a set of headphones on and, and do my thing. But now the headphones are much fancier than they were a few years ago. And that's, you yeah. know, that's <laughs> how weird sitting in a, yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's amazing, man. And it's I, just a choice. Honestly, we, we do this to ourselves, but if you, I, I, you know, my three tenants are time, freedom, location, freedom, financial freedom, time, freedom is, is, is really easy. Like if you have a boss right now, you can just tell him to go F himself and you have time freedom. Um, now that, that may not go over well, uh, but you can get it pretty easily. Location freedom is another one where I know a lot of people that live in places and by location freedom, that doesn't mean just where you live, but it's also the, it's the, it's what you're surrounding yourself with. You can choose that, whether it's a bad relationship, whether it's family members that are weighing you down, whether it's a location that you don't feel like you're, you're happy. Like I live in San Diego and whenever anybody goes, um, and I went from, you know, Philly to Denver and Denver was Boulder. Denver was spectacular. And San Diego was the only logical upgrade because it was like Denver with a beach and then I don't have to be in snow. Yeah. But it was like, um, it, when, when someone asks me, well, what made you move to San Diego? I'm, I'm typically, I just, I just look outside and I go, I don't, I don't understand the question. <laughs> what are you, what are you asking me right now? Why wouldn't you? Because it's the same reason why we have a big homeless problem here because when all else fails, at least you're in San Diego. At least it's 75 and sunny. So how can you make 75 and sunny be the rest of your life? You know what I mean? How can your relationship be 75 and sunny? How can your environment, where you live, what your home, you know, all of that, you have a choice. You can, you can choose to put your stuff in a car and drive to where you want to live and then go get a gig. That's how the world works. What are your buckets that you focus on? Like you said that, I mean, are there like buckets of life that you put in? Like I would say maybe career, success, freedom, time. Like what are your buckets that you try to be 75 and sunny in? 
I'm not super, um, for better or for worse, I've not been super financially motivated, um, which is a drag because I have really fancy taste now. Um, <laughs> so it's, but so that money thing is something I have to work on. And, you know, part of the, you can't just decide to do this the way I'm living my life. And then also um, expect, you know, a, an eight figure income. It's like, or you can, but it, it, I think it's tricky. So I know, I'm well aware that I'm leaving a lot of money on the table. However, my dad, when he died, it was not a huge surprise. It was like he had congestive heart failure. He was sort of on a slow decline. You know, when I left November of 2016, when I left Florida, I was like, that's the last time I'm going to see him alive. I know that. And it was. And I knew that. My mom, however, was a gigantic surprise. It was a terrible phone call to get. And it was like, and, and by the way, reinforced by, you know, I was telling you hi to uh, a bad January. <laughs> One of my, my best friend in the world, uh, like had a blood clot in his lungs and died at 46. Wow. It was like, what are you talking about right now? And it just reinforces this, um, this mantra that I have, which has been um, repeated over and over and over and over and over on my show from the most successful people I've, inter I've ever interviewed. And I've now done 681 shows Dude, um, on, that, on that podcast. I've done another, I probably have probably 900 under my belt all, all in uh, between all the different shows. And I will tell you unequivocally, when, when people ask me, well, what's the, you know, what do they have in common? What the most successful people in the world have in common? Unequivocally is that they say yes first, and then they figure out the details later. Jump what off the most cliff. of us do. What's that? Jump off the cliff and build a plane on the way down. Uh, yeah, ish. But I'm talking about even on a, because um, that's a great way to describe entrepreneurship in yeah. general. But this is for day-to-day -day decisions. Mm -hmm. This is, hey, do you want to go to blank? And what most of us do is we go, oh, I don't, I don't know. Let me check. Or we say maybe, and then we come up with 10 reasons why we can't do something. That's what most people do. But the most successful people go, yeah, I'm there. Let's do it. And then they look back and go, all right, what do I got to, how do I have to tweak this to make this thing work? Oh man, it's $5,000. All right, I need to make five grand. How do I make five grand? Okay, I'm going to do this, 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 make the five grand. Okay, I got to get this time off of this. I was supposed to speak at this thing. Let me rearrange that. Well, like that's how the successful people work. But because they want to go do the thing. If someone says, hey, we've got a heli trip, you know, a heli skiing trip in Vancouver um, in February. Uh, okay, yeah, let's do that. That sounds great. And they go and make it work somehow. You know what I mean? So it's like when, when something feels like it's holding you back, my default now is to say yes to almost everything that, and, and then figure out why, you know, how I'm going to tweak it. Has that ever come and bit you? Of course, but not much. I mean, uh, I mean, really, I can think of maybe a couple of times that maybe the finances were a little weird. I go, yeah, fine, here. You know, here's a bunch of money. And then like three weeks later, I'm like, oh, I probably could use a little bit of that money for this <laughs> thing. You know, but whatever. But it, you know what? Money is, uh, money in this world is, is <laughs> especially now in 2018, it's so easy to make and so easy to lose. You know, it's not that difficult. We were just, I was talking to somebody um, just before we chatted. And we're talking about affiliate marketing. Um, and for your audience who doesn't know that, that's essentially selling other people's products. I, imagine this, it's, it's almost like recommending a, a great coffee. And then when somebody buys that coffee, you get a couple of bucks from it. So that's affiliate marketing. Yeah. 
And, you know, we said, well, what if you have no list, no emailing list, and you have no audience? What do you do? And the guy just said, uh, reviews. I go, oh, yeah, that makes tons of sense. You know, when Pat Flynn on, from Smart Passive Income did a how to build a website in four minutes on, you know, on YouTube, and everybody wanted to see that and know how to do it. But part of that video he did, which took him probably like 10 minutes uh, with, you know, screencast or whatever, um, I looked on a random month in January 2017, and he made $42,600 wow. from affiliate income from Bluehost from that one video. And that was just one random month that I chose. He's made millions from, from that. And so it's like you can, you can make a business doing just about anything right now in 2018. You just have to you know, find the people that are doing it and learn what they're doing. Did your relationship with money change after, your, after you came back from yeah. Europe? For sure. And in totally what way? Did. Because this is, uh, this is, in my opinion, a, a, it's a refreshing sort of take on money that I don't hear often enough. Um, I mean, you're, you use money as a way to live a very abundant life and you define what abundance is to you. So how do you, for someone who isn't in that space, who doesn't have this relationship with money, how do you, how do you, how do you get there? How do you create this relationship? Mm. I think it's something I still struggle with, you know, all the time. Um, you know, if I have money, I like to spend it. It's fun. Um, yeah. you know, but, but, but I think I'm spending it a little more on experiences or stories than I am on stuff. Um, I have yeah. some cool stuff, but all the stuff I have makes for great stories and great experiences. You know, yeah. like if I buy, like I, I, I went down the rabbit hole of, um, of watches a couple of years ago. And that is a, that, that is a terrifyingly, it can be a terrifyingly expensive rabbit hole because I like the old stuff. But I like the old stuff because they all have stories associated with them. That's the part that's really cool. So when you're wearing this watch, which maybe costs a couple grand, it's not like crazy. Someone goes, oh, well, that's kind of cool. You know, where'd you get that? And then there's this great story around it. And that's right. what I love about it. I don't love that it costs, you know, five grand. That's not the point. The point is, is that it had this, you know, yeah, this thing was actually given to the military brass. And this one in particular was owned by this, you know, general. And like, that's a great, that's a great story. Why are these it's stories a, important to you? Because, that by the way, is one of the better questions I've been asked in many, many podcasts. Um, uh, because I think it's how we connect as humans. It's how we've always connected as humans. Stories. Stories have been how generations have learned from previous generations. And value is displayed because of stories. So if I, if I told you um, this weekend, and this is true, this weekend I put on a, a, a $55,000 pair of headphones um, that you go, that's, that's bonkers. And everyone outside of that, even people inside the like audiophile world would go, that's, that is insane. The headphones themselves were like 18 grand and then the, the, the amp and all this ever stuff was the rest. And it's crazy, but here's the deal. I brought a friend of mine who doesn't know anything about audio or whatever, and she put them on and she was in tears in 30 seconds. Mm. And I go, all right, so let's talk about what just happened there. You went from, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard to being so moved by a piece of music you didn't know at all that it made you cry in 30 seconds. So that's what they did. They, they, 
those people didn't make a set of headphones. They made an experience. Yeah. Right. And so those experiences, she'll tell that story over and over and over again. Like, oh my God, you would not believe I, I put these things on. And all of a sudden I was immersed in this thing and I felt this soul and, you know, it becomes a story. And so those stories are, are what now, now I, I would never suggest that someone goes and spends 55 grand a pair of headphones. But if those headphones were like three grand and they did the same thing, wouldn't you go, oh, I didn't even know I needed $3,000 headphones. I didn't yeah. know they existed. And now all of a sudden I kind of want them because they, they, the value came from the story. So the story is almost like a, almost like a glimpse into possibility for you. A story is a song or a poem or a, I mean, it's, it's, it's music. It's what it's, those are all stories. Stories are, I think, the most important part of being a human in a lot of ways because they, they're they the things that elicit the connection. Yeah. You know, it's why I like podcasting so much because I, I get to extract stories from people that sometimes don't, you know, aren't used to telling those stories. Yeah. It's awesome. Dude, I, I love, I just, I just love how driven you are. Uh, I can feel the passion behind... Uh, your dedication. What is your show? Tell us, tell us more about your show. I'd love to, to, to have some of our audience uh, get in and just learn more about your story and, and what you're doing over there. Yeah. Um, you know, <clears throat> I've always been into um, the, really the art of, you know, of the story of, of the interview. And I think yeah. I, and I've noticed it with people. I was, I grew up a Howard Stern fan and he was such an amazing, uh, you know, you get beyond the butt bongo fiesta and the lesbian <laughs> Um, he's a, just a world-class generational talented interviewer. And, yeah. and I've always, I always saw through the, the, that stuff. And I always loved, I mean, I can tell you on, on dozens of occasions, I would miss classes in college because I would be stuck in my car because he'd be inter interviewing someone and I couldn't, I couldn't stop. And, and it, back then you just had the radio show. You didn't have, you know, how he has on Sirius now where it repeats and repeats. We didn't have that. So it was like, you know, if you were, you were in, you know, <laughs> entrapped in this um, immersive story. And so I remember feeling like that when Tim Ferriss interviewed um, uh, Cal Fussman, who was the writer for Esquire, tell, mm -hmm. talking about his last, um, he was the last guy that boxed with Muhammad Ali. And he told that whole story. And it was like, Oh my God, I couldn't leave. I had a meeting to go to and I'm sitting on my bed <laughs> listening to this thing going, this is unreal. So <clears throat> I've always been into that kind of deep dive conversation. And, and it's ironic that Pat came up because in May of 2013, Pat and I had lunch together and we, in, here in San Diego, and we just talked for like two or three hours and we talked about everything, all kinds of different stories, um, cars and girls and fashion and, and being a guy and all this stuff. And he, um, he was walking out and he stopped in the doorway and he said, dude, thank you. And I go, what? He goes, I never get to do that. <laughs> he goes, every time I am talking now, it's, it's actionable this and it's, it's SPI and it's, you know, content versus just being able to like have a great conversation. And I was like, yeah. hmm, wouldn't that be an interesting idea for a show? Like, what if I brought these people on and, and just talked around the stuff that they're famous for? but just had a real deep dive conversation with them. And so that's what the solopreneur hour became. I said, if I do it well, if I do my job well as a host, and I think the onus is on us to do our job as a host, um, it's, it's up to us to, um, to make our guests feel 
you know, empowered and, uh, and catered to and coddled to, which is why, and I'll share something with you right now for those of you that are podcaster people, there's a long tail success from it. I was just sitting at a table again at this mastermind on Friday. And one of the guys there was, was Tucker Max and Tucker's had, you know, three bestsellers on New York times. And I hadn't seen him. I interviewed him three years ago. And I want you just to take this all into context. Three years ago is when we really last met. Um, and I didn't meet him. I just, I just had him on my show. But we were talking, I was, I was hosting a roundtable about how to be a great interviewer. And he sat at it. And um, he was just quiet and kind of hanging out. And he goes, you know, I've done probably 500 shows since we've, we talked. And he goes, your show is easily the top three that I've ever done. Um, wow, in fact, dude, he's huge. like, I want to be back on that. And I go, that's the difference right there. That's the difference between being a great broadcaster and having a podcast because yeah. you might get him once, but you're not going to get him twice. And you're definitely not going to get him to say, dude, when can I be on your show? Which I've heard now from, I could run down the list of people that, you know, in this industry, you would consider A-listers that have been like, dude, I want to be on your show again. What do we do? How do I do that? And these are people that people chase all the time yeah. to be on their show. But, you know, they, they reach out to me because of um, Nathan Chan said it, it was a really great compliment for me. He goes, I love being on your show because you bring out the best version of me. And I'm like, that is, that's, that's the best compliment that I can, that I can take. So as the host, if I'm bringing the guest on and I'm, you know, I'm uh, <laughs> making them feel great. I'm plugging their stuff all the time. Oh, here's the, here's the number one for anybody who podcasts. Here's a, here's a huge podcaster faux pas. And I'm sorry, Raj, if you're about to do this, um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll head it off at the pass. Um, we, <laughs> we do a thing now in the marketing podcast world that nobody else does in broadcasting. Like I just literally saw this last night. I almost recorded it. Um, I was watching Jimmy Fallon bring on Dave Chappelle and Jerry Seinfeld. Um, onto his show. And the first thing he does, <laughs> he'll say, um, you know, Dave Chappelle, as soon as Dave walks on, he goes, Dave has his two specials on Netflix, April 17th, blah, blah. He plugs the guest right away, which is what a pro does. What we do in the podcast world is we do a, we do a double bad, which is we wait till the very end of the show to plug our guest. And by that time, 85% of people have tuned out. That's a real number. That's from, yeah. that's actual metrics. 85% of people have tuned out at the end of a show because, you know, they're used to what happens at the end of shows. And so they maybe got to wrap it up or whatever. So less than 15% of the people make it to the very closing credits of a show. And it's where 99% of podcasters promote their guests. So already the guest is getting nothing out of that promo because no one's nice. actually hearing them. Yeah, that's true. And then two, we're doing a thing where we go, why don't you tell people where they can find you? And you go, dude, if I was in a house, if I, if this was a house party and I brought a guest into my house and said, here, tell everybody about yourself and tell them where they can find you. It'd be the most awkward, embarrassing thing ever. So I always respond to that. That is specifically our job as a host yeah. to tell our audience where they can find our guests. That's what we do for a living. It's what we're, it's like, if there was a job number one, like it's that it's like when I, when someone um, at a restaurant, I always get toast. That's not toasted enough. I'm like, it says toast right in the name. <laughs> it's not warm bread, bro. It's toast. It's, I feel like it's on page one of how to be a chef is how to make toast. And this is not toast. So in our job, in our job description, 
is to tell our audience where to find our guest. And go listen yes. to, don't listen to me. Go listen to any pro of any radio station. Go listen to, if you want a podcast, go listen to Adam Carolla, who's been doing it forever, and how they bring a guest on. It's very different than how the marketing people bring guests on. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's my rant about podcasting. No, well, I appreciate the rant. And uh, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll likely make some tiny tweaks to uh, <laughs> my show moving forward. I appreciate the, the honest... Uh, I, 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 this is what I love about the podcaster. Like, I mean, I, we started the podcast back in December, so it's relatively new. Um, and uh, it's been a huge learning opportunity yeah. just because I... I mean, it's it's been amazing. We've had some amazing people on the show that share amazing stories, just like you just did. Um, but it's it's like every single one of them can be better. And well, you play golf? I I do, I do, or not very well, but I I I make an effort. I get out there. All right. So you know how most people at golf are super shitty, except for the six people that are on TV. <laughs> right? Yeah. Isn't that generally how it is? Like, yeah, like yeah. And if you don't believe me, just go to a driving range and just see how that looks. Everyone's terrible at golfing, except for like nine people. That's what podcasting is right now. That's when I, when I view the landscape of podcasting, I view the landscape as like, oh, these people are terrible. They're terrible at this. And the reason why is because when I went to Temple University for broadcasting, telecommunications, and mass media, to be able to earn the right to be on a microphone and speak to people publicly was a four-year degree. Yeah. There was, it was a real, uh, it still is a real career that people choose. Now you can buy a microphone, <laughs> plug it into your phone and you got a podcast. So anybody who wants to can just have a show, but it doesn't yeah. mean they're good at it. And it, just because they're lit, they have listeners also doesn't mean they're good at it. It just means that they're good at it. Like, I mean, it just means that they have listeners, you know, because they, they have, there's a topic that somebody wants to hear. So <clears throat> like I told you, I'm a Steelers fan. I listened to this thing called The Terrible Podcast, which is they have the terrible towel. It is literally a terrible podcast. They're terrible at their job. But I listen to it because I like Steelers content and I know they're inside it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it doesn't mean you're good at it, though. It could be so much better. I, you know, give me one weekend with those guys and I'll completely transform that show. Dude, I love, uh, I, I love that last part. And I think that's a great place to kind of wrap up the conversation. Um, just in general, your, your focus on being the best podcaster, the best host, the best person to communicate with the other person on the line is what's inspiring me about you. Cool, man. Um, I love that. And, uh, I, everybody, uh, we'll definitely give all the links on, on the show notes to, uh, to Mike's show. Definitely go check it out and, and, and hear some of the work that he's doing. Uh, listen to a couple episodes and yeah, I'm, I'm a fan, man. So, um, I do have, uh, one last question that I, I wanted to ask you. Um, in the midst of everything you've done, man, uh, it sounds like you've had a lot of success the past couple of years. Um, how, how do you stay grounded on a daily basis uh, to keep moving forward, to, to keep pushing, and to keep being a better host? Um, I'm always inspired by, you know, I, I study a lot. I study a lot of stand-up, and I study a lot of, uh, there's a couple of great interviewers out there. One is um, a guy named Sam Jones. His, his podcast is called Off Camera with Sam Jones. And also, um, here's the thing with Alec Baldwin is really good. They're both just phenomenal world-class, you know, interviewers. And that's really fun. Um, so I, I don't have, I've never had a, how do you stay motivated problem? I mean, yeah. other than like, I was just saying I was, I was being kind of lazy and depressed for the end of 2017, but 
I knew it was temporary. Like, what am I going to do? Go back to, you know, go yeah. shovel, you know, snow? <laughs> I don't know. What am I going to do? This is what yeah. I do. So, you know, I, you, you got to power through. And um, yeah, I don't have, uh, I, don't, I, I guess I don't have a mantra because I've never been the guy that doesn't have the motivation to, to do my thing. You oh, know, yeah. I grew up picking up rocks when I was six. My dad was from the South. You know, like I have, I have a work ethic. So it's not like, you know what I mean? I'm not, yep. although I will say I'm inherently lazy. Like I love just hanging out and, on the couch and doing nothing. But You're then, purposefully you know, lazy. I think that's, that's a better word. You can't be. I mean, you get sucked into YouTube, man. I just, I do. <laughs> it's easy. It's an easy, it's an easy loss. Oh man. Um, but, uh, but, but, um, you know, I, I do, I do, uh, I'm, I'm very strange in that way in that, you know, I went from spending a couple months kind of being really mellow to then making a decision at, you know, six o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday to redesign my website. And I, I, that's all I did for 10 days. Like I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't do anything. I just dug in and just did it. So that's kind of always how I've been. Um, I love it, man. It's the time freedom thing coming to fruition. If I, you know, if I had a family and stuff, I would have to schedule some stuff out. So we'll see. We'll see how the future what the future brings the future's bringing good stuff thanks Mike, brother i just want to say thanks again uh for being on the show um for everybody who wants to learn more about mike like i said we'll send out all this stuff um but that's a wrap for the uh stay out the stay grounded podcast i'm your host raj here's mike uh until next time stay grounded thanks for joining us today on this episode of the stay grounded podcast brought to you by java press coffee company my name is raj And I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to make daily happiness a priority. If you're interested in learning more about how your morning coffee can turn into a consistent source of joy in your life, visit www.javapress.com to learn how our products can help you do that and use the coupon code podcast for 10% off your purchase. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.